I liked how you previewed this podcast by telling everyone we went to CC's the other night. And it was enjoyable, folks. I actually went two times. You went back-to-back back nights. It was so good, I had to go back. That might not be safe for your health. It did think. give me the tummy troubles both of the next morning. Was it, was it worth it? Yes, yes. It was worth it to eat the delicious cuisine, and it was especially worth it to see your face in public. You ate an alarming amount of cinnamon rolls. Like it got to the point where I looked over and I was like, Oh, this is this is a lot. And I like their dessert pizza too. And the night yeah. before I really loaded up on the uh, actual pizza and pasta, so I went heavy on the desserts this go round. The uh the thing we've been trying to do really, I mean, even before NIL stuff, we've been joking around where it's like, hey, sponsor us, CC's you're next. You're on the list. Yeah, none of you have taken us up on it. I don't know why. We say nothing but nice things about you unless we don't feel that way. And then right. we don't. But that, I don't think, is the point. In 2021, you'd rather have an honest truth teller like myself representing your brand mm-hmm. than just some guy, right? So yeah. I, I think CC's will we'll let the honest, uh, will give the honest takes. Sure. Is it the highest quality pizza I've ever had? No. No. Did I Would eat an abundance that? of it for about $7? Yes. Yes, I did. Did you think that buffets were ever going to come back? Because I like legitimately thought like that might have been the end. Like COVID might have been the end of that whole business model. I thought I honestly thought it was going to be done. But I hadn't considered that actually. I've thought more about the movie theaters, and I've been yeah. seeing this take out there that a lot of not a lot of people you can space out easily to movie theaters. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't, you know, there's some concern about if the movie theater was going to come back, and maybe it won't be the same as it was two years ago. I don't know how different it would be, but it's the same. Like I, I didn't really see the movie theater going away. People were all. It's really already not a good deal unless you do something like you've done, mm-hmm. where you get that pass and you can yeah. go a bunch of times a week, like. Since I just go maybe once a month or once every other month, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to sink 30-something dollars into this experience. You spend that much money in a movie theater. I mean, if you buy two tickets and a thing of no, popcorn, that's right. you then you're, people care about you're you. probably going to end up tickets. around $30, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess multiple tickets. Are you, you a popcorn guy? I love getting popcorn. It seems the so fake right. butter too. Oh my god! I can't so see. Much butter. I'm okay with popcorn. Like I get it every now and then. But man, that that the the butter on top. Ugh. I like no. to uh, no hit the top with the cheddar, and then you know. You oh get, wow! You get to like the you know an eighth of the way into the bag, and it's mostly you're just, just eat, butter. You're just, you're just eating vegetable oil at that Pretty point. Pretty much, it's just processed, you know, yeah. butter and uh, whatever whatever it is that cat food goes into that cheddar. But I had not considered very uh, like the uh, the buffet thing. But yeah, yeah. Uh, my mother is someone who does not like buffets in part because other people have access to your food, and it's like, well, that's still true in the back of a in a kitchen. You just can't see them. Right. I mean, it's just about how much you trust <laughs> your fellow man. No, which... I guess there's more opportunity for it to perhaps get the gentle caress of a middle-aged man's hand, and then he puts it back into the line. But True. Avoid that situation. Yeah, avoid just... that slice. Um, if you can't see it, it didn't happen. I... I, I I'm now intrigued by your popcorn setup, because that is... That sounds like a mess, dude. Like it, really I got to get a lot of napkins. Okay. A lot of napkins are involved because of the amount of butter. Like when I'm watching it, I'm like nodding my head like, yeah, don't, 
don't you dare stop. I know you see me over here nodding like <laughs> we're just getting started. The cheddar, though, is a nice, uh, very glamorous touch, in my opinion. Uh, I found myself in a Dollar Tree the other day, a couple of weeks back. I was uh, with one of my siblings who was looking for something specifically, and I came across Dollar Tree the aisle where they had all of the movie theater candy. And it's the, I mean, it's basically the exact same stuff you get in a movie theater. But it's not $10. It's a dollar a piece. Oh, they, they get me bad because I'm always going to get popcorn in the movie theater. Right. Popcorn, I mean, maybe one thing because, like, I think the thing with popcorn is, is like, you don't have, like, you can pop a bag of my, uh, microwave popcorn at home. Right, that's what. But they most have that fancy does. machine. They have the yeah, butter you, thing. Most people don't have the capability to, or don't want the capability. Oh, I love to when have I them. walk into someone's house and they have a popcorn machine. It's like how many oh, times has that ever happened? A few times. Really? I mean, it's you know, like in their basement, like where the kids have like a play set up or something. They got like a little popcorn maker. You just hanging out with rich people all the time? No, I mean. But like I have, there are a few people in my life who have had popcorn machines, really? and it is I don't know if I've ever been in anybody's spot that has one. I respect them. I respect their grind and their right. ability to buy popcorn machines and put them in their children's play spaces. That's yeah, that's that's pretty. It's pretty wild. But like at least with popcorn, it's like you can see where the upcharge kind of comes from. I mean, it's still too much, but but if they're getting this candy, I mean, if Dollar Tree is selling the candy for one dollar a piece. Well, yeah, they're still telling it, how much you're getting. They're it buying it in bulk, I'm sure. Oh yeah, so it's probably like eighty cents. Good gracious, yeah. They I think we you. should liberate the, the the candy. But buffets, they're back. They're back, folks. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the Sunday edition. Painter Sharpless, Justin Ferguson. He's Painter. I'm Justin. We are here live and in person together for the first time in a little bit. It's been a it's been a minute or two. How are you? I'm good. Have we done the last two remotely? I think we've done the last two or three remotely. Yeah. Um, but we're back. We're back together. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening to this. If you're listening to this, you're probably having a better week in the United States uh, men's national basketball team. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, the, the NBA season, like great for Giannis. We talked about it on the, on the premium pie with Nathan. Great for Giannis. I mean, great, you know, great playoffs and the finals. I thought were a lot of fun, but like it, the way everybody got hurt and was worn down by the end of this season, going back to back so quickly off of, um, the COVID affected regular season and playoffs last year. It was like, yeah, the United States of America, they've just played so much basketball. And some of these other countries have too, but like it I don't know, it just feels like it's it's different and yeah, the the US doesn't seem to have the best coaching and plan in the world cuz uh Greg Popovich uh this is my thoughts. Greg Popovich owes his entire success to Tim Duncan. That's my take. I like that take. Yeah. We're going off. I like that take. So here's another take then. The U.S. basketball team should never lose a game. Yeah. I mean, there might be some years where there's a really good, like the French team. But like even the French, you might not say have all of their best guys. Uh, They don't have Victor Wembanyama yet, which is wild to think about. Um, But yeah, no, you shouldn't lose. You shouldn't lose. 
I watched a good bit of men's volleyball yesterday, and that is lively. They have a 6'10 dude on the outside, I think, this year. It is very fun to watch. I looked up the average speed of the ball being hit, and it's about 70 to 80 miles an hour. That's a big ball, too. I do wonder how much of that, like, as they're growing up and it's getting more and more competitive, like, how much is just kind of getting in the right position, knowing, Mm -hmm. like, because you obviously have to know where they're going to hit it. It's all happening so fast, and positioning yourself correctly and then a lot of it's just like straight reaction mm-hmm. because they don't really have enough time i feel like to get completely in position it is a fun sport it's something i wish that auburn i know they've got the it's women's really team. not a, it's really not a sport a men's sport outside of like the pac-12 and the big 10 yeah, i think it's kind of like almost kind of like how men's soccer is at this point um i think we could get some crowds going there they might not be massive but yeah Perhaps I've 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 been of the opinion that if they Auburn needed to add another sport, beach volleyball was going to be the next one. Um, it's gotten really popular in in the southeast. It's gotten really popular with some SC schools. LSU's got a great team and a great facility for it now. I think UAB plays it. Um, so yeah, it would it would make a ton of sense to give you kind of a timestamp. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, we are recording this before Big Cat Weekend, kind of happens uh before Demari Austin commits on Sunday Did afternoon. Did I read correctly? It's more of a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More of a day. Demari Austin commits later today from when we're recording this. Um feeling good, right? Auburn fans. Uh, it seems like it seems like the consensus from from the people who cover this uh, well, guys like Keith Niebuhr and Jeff Lee and uh and those guys you know, things are pointing towards pointing towards Auburn adding a four star running back, and we'll, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in the midweek if if that ends up happening. But we are also recording after the U.S. loses in in, in basketball, and also after Suni Lee qualifying for four events in gymnastics. Um, she's in the team final, the all around final, the beam final, and the bars final, um, and is you know second best gymnast in the United States behind Simone Biles. And my, that might end up making you the second best gymnast in the world, um, which is insane because the person ahead of you at this point, not only on your team, but maybe for the entire world, is the greatest to ever do it. And maybe end up maybe end up retire end up retiring or finishing her career as the greatest Olympian ever to do it. Um in any oh, does sport. she have a chance of like taking on the Phelps gold medal thing? Probably. But then the other thing there is just like you know, Phelps didn't thing. win. Phelps didn't win pretty much every race he was in, right? Like, it came close, but there are a lot more events you can do in swimming compared to gymnastics, uh, I think. And uh, anyway, congrats to Suni Lee. I um, know uh, a lot of people stayed up to watch that. Uh, Justin Lee, by the way, who was on the podcast last week. Uh, if you are looking to keep up with Suni and Auburn Gymnastics, uh, a super future superstar in Tokyo. He's the person to read. He posted a great breakdown, a guide. It was like a few thousand words on how to watch, what to look for, what like everything you need to know about SUNY Lee at the Olympics. It's a great read. I learned a lot from it as well. You can check that out uh, at the OA News, uh, his Twitter uh, at by Justin Lee. And then he is like live tweeting and staying up for all this stuff as well. So if you're going to be up there with him and watching it, he's a good he's a good resource to have will it continually be at like four in the morning yes okay so you've got to be a committed one you've got to be a committed one as well i watched i didn't make it 
uh, overnight. I I did watch uh, I did watch skateboarding, uh, which is a sport I enjoy watching. I'm anyway. still caught up on. I don't know if this was at the Olympics or if this was something different. But the 12 year old who did what the 1080. Yeah. I mean, what what was it that Hawk did that was so famous when he was the 900? And it's like, all right, now a 12 year old is doing a more advanced trick. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a good reason to remember, like sports get, you know, yeah. When we talk all about things, in, yeah. When we talk about like Golden State, you know, the the competition is better that the, the mm-hmm. Bulls faced now. Well, yeah, well, we talked about this a while back, and I mentioned uh, Victor Wembanyama earlier, but like we we could get to a point now where like the best players ever may not have even played yet. I mean, Simone Biles, we're talking about that with Simone Biles as being that point, but like. I mean, if we're getting seven footers who can who can dribble and and attack and 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 play like point guards, like there's no telling what what basketball or any of these sports can like. So yeah, uh, skateboarding especially has come a long way. Um, you, did you ever have a, a boarding uh, episode in your life where you where you there was like a little phase in my seventh grade? I tried, ten, like I tried to skateboard and. I never adopted the aesthetic, but I tried to actually do it, and it was like I more adopted the aesthetic, but like that shouldn't be surprising to anyone who kind of knows me. Um, I'm currently wearing skateboarding shoes right now because they're the most comfortable shoes you can buy. I I mentioned that. I mentioned that on Twitter. Uh, The the guy who won it, uh, Yudo from from Japan, was wearing Crocs. (laughs) Was wearing Nike Nike SBs. Uh, So was Nigel Houston, uh, the the uh, the top. American skateboarder. You have a little bit of a sneaker head in you. Are you, are you into the uh, sneaker game or, or? No, not not quite as much. I just like these things are super comfortable, and so the ones these aren't Nikes, but the ones I'm wearing right now are like that. But the 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 soft inside art support, the bigger tongue, like that makes a huge difference for me. So, I've always been a guy that's like, you know, I played all the Tony Hawk games growing up. I still play the Tony Hawk games when they when they brought them out for the five. Um, so yeah, I, I I tried, I tried, and I wasn't good at it, uh, unsurprisingly. But yeah, I picked up more of the aesthetic because I could, uh, you know, I I identified a lot with that a little bit more than than maybe actually like skateboarding. We've learned a lot about each other's youths this weekend. Yes, yes. I can never. All I could do, all I could do is get and and, and I wasn't too long ago where I got on one recently. Um, and all I can really do is just kind of stand on it and kind of turn. But like, if you're you're, if you ask me to like like ollie or, or do anything on it, I'm like, nah, I'm gonna kill myself doing that. So I've taken us down a pretty winding path here. We're taking us down a winding path, but we winding paths are good because we're here to talk about SEC media. It's the ultimate winding path. Uh, I went in thinking. Brian Harson's done a good job this offseason as much as one can, yeah. creating a positive narrative around his program. And we left talking largely about uh, realignment and vaccines. But anyway. Do we, do we want to hit vaccines first? Probably just let's get that out the let's way. Get at, let's get that out of the way. All right. So here's the thing. We, on this podcast, when the vaccine came out, we were very pro, go get the vaccine, go get the shot. It's been several months now. Everyone's kind of had access to it at this point. I know people who are listening to it have differing opinions on the vaccine. I am. We're not here to preach our opinion. We're not. I don't know anything. Yeah, like, I just listened to. I think it's Burr, the comedian, that said. I listened to the people who were nerds. Right. And they but told again, me to get it. But yeah, people have their reasons for getting it. People have reasons. I mean, I know plenty of people on both sides of of the issue, quote unquote. Right. Or 
you know, people who have decided to get it and people who decided not. We're to not get trying it. to scold anybody. Right. On this. No. Uh, that's we a, don't know but if you want to talk about football and how this affects Auburn football, because this is an Auburn football podcast, um, Brian Harson saying that the team was around 60% vaccinated. Not horrible, but the SEC wants you to get 85%. And what that 85% mark does, what they're talking about is if you're at 85%, you don't have to have mass protocols in place. Uh, you don't have to get tested nearly as much. Um, and that and that's big. That's important. It just seems like convenient to me to not have to deal right. with the extra hassle with everything else. And this is where we say, yes, you can be vaccinated and still get COVID. With these, with these variants and these mutations, it's happened. I know of two people specifically where that has happened to them, right? But your chances exponentially decrease according to the science. If you don't, if you go out and get it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. What we're saying, though, is this. Auburn needs to get closer to 85% if they want to have the smoothest possible season. Now, every coach on that team and every player on that team has to make that decision for themselves. Brian Harson went and said, hey, it's a personal decision. He has been big on that. He said that several times throughout the process. When he was asked if he had been vaccinated, he gave a no comment, all right? That's the information we're going to give you right now. People can draw their own conclusions from that. What I will say, though, is this. The more people who get vaccinated on this team, the less likely is that COVID will do something in 2021 to them that can interrupt the season, whether that means a coach missing a game, whether that means players missing games, whether that means Auburn having to possibly forfeit because they're not going to do this postponing and moving around stuff in 2021, right? And again, like I said, it is possible that if you get the shot, you could still get it. Like this is not, you know, this is not necessarily a consistently going to guard you better, but it's not a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent. It's not a, this is something we're still going to have to deal with. Look at me talking about this, talking about guarding. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a good reason for me to keep all of my opinions to myself, which is why we do this. So that's, that's something that I think we'll see. I think that, I think Auburn wants to get closer to that 85%. Um, I think there will be more that will what will join up, but I do know that among that coaching staff and among that roster, there are people with differing opinions on whether they should get it or not, right? And they have different reasons for for, for such. And they're in a point right now. College football is at a point where they are not in the SEC, they're not forcing people to go get it to do their jobs. We saw what happened in Minnesota where Offensive line coach, run game coordinator, left the team and was fired basically because he did not he did not get the vax he refused to get the vaccine that would make his job according to the NFL protocols this year impossible. That has a ripple effect down to Auburn because yeah, I saw a, an Auburn name, an analyst, an analyst, one like, of their new analysts who was an NFL assistant. Recently. Any relation to Kevin Steele or was I that a do not think so? Ben Steele um, is going to get a job back in the NFL now because of the ripple effect for it. This is not the situation that they're in right now, but it's one of those things where I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on what Harson said and what you know the vaccine itself. The thing, the thing about it is, from our perspective, is this. This is still going to be a talking point. This is still going to be a storyline, and this is going to be something we're going to have to deal with all the way through football season. It's not over. It's not complete. Um, and honestly, even if you were at that magic 85% marker, if you were at 100%, it still isn't guaranteed to be over. So keep that in mind uh, moving forward. 
and we'll see we'll see how see how the rest of it goes. But like I think that's all the vaccine talk I want to I want to have. Again, not here to say what you should do or you should. Well, I'll say this: we were pro vaccine. We are pro vaccine for for our for our reasons, right? There are people who are listening that have differing opinions. We're not going to tell you to go listen to something else or not. We're not going to belabor the point. People have their reasons. Um, but so the mo- more from the football, from a football perspective, this is still going to be a story. This is still going to be something that is going to be worth talking about moving forward. Yeah, I didn't think there would be much conversation about the last day of SEC media days. And I don't know how much was actually, because we say this all the time, as much as I reference Twitter, Twitter's not real. But right. At least if you got on the little tiny sliver of Twitter I was on, that was there was more discussion about SEC Media Days than I thought. We had talked about this with Nathan. Sort of felt like the the week was pretty much over by the time Auburn was going, right? And in, and also this was just a weird week. Yeah, and and, and it's like the realignment the thing ended it, up yeah. overshadowing, I think, a oh, lot of yeah. individual. Because we've also talked about this. Media Days, I think its moment in the sun has sort of passed now with the constant access I, I will to, see. I, I'll see if that changes moving forward. If they move to another place besides who, I felt going there on Thursday. It was just like, oh, this is like, yeah, this is. Not just wondered. I mean, you know, given a whole host of factors since like the early two thousands, or even like you know twenty ten when Cam was still around, the way the sport is covered is obviously different. We have more yep. access because of social media. There's different websites that do a good job covering this. So, you know, I, I wonder SEC media days, I don't feel like I'm getting a whole lot of new information that week. Right. And like no. you mentioned, there's always at that, this point in the year, we're pretty close to the season starting. Most people have formulated their opinions, but what did come out of this was one of the biggest moves in recent college football history with the talk of the realignment. Yeah. We talked about that. some on the premium podcast last week. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it even more moving forward. At some point this week, maybe Monday, looking to kind of put out a story that kind of breaks down, okay, here's what the schedule would look like for Auburn in the future if Texas and Oklahoma join, because here's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like for for uh, realignment and scheduling. So uh, maybe that'll be up uh, on Monday for those of you who, uh, who are interested in that kind of stuff. Um, moving on from vaccines and, and realignment, I think from the Auburn perspective, the biggest story to me out of media days, or the biggest piece of news, in my opinion, and you may have a differing opinion, fall camp starts in less than two weeks, and Brian Harson saying he expects Auburn to be near 100% health, with the exception of Jeremiah Wright, who is still recovering from that torn ACL. Did you or did we learn anything about Council being in some sort of will we know before that like he'll have a non contact? Is he just good to go? He is he is supposed I don't to be hundred percent. I was thinking he was not gonna be ready by the season. I've start. I've heard now from multiple people is that they, they expect him to be hundred percent and ready to roll. Excellent. Uh that his rehab process this off season has gone well and that he is going to be, you know, I'm sure it's not – I mean, he's going to have to knock some rust off and get back into the full swing of things, I would imagine. But, like, he's going to be he's going to be ready to go. And the thing with that is that's so huge because we've talked about it before. Nick Brahms, by the way, first team All-SEC center, uh, which I don't think very many people expected Auburn to have a first team offensive lineman uh, or at least maybe an offensive lineman at all. Fingers crossed that that becomes true. <laughs> I, I think that was partly – 
name recognition and he, longevity at yeah, this point for him. For but while, like, look, yeah. man, like Nick Brahms is going to be a key to the a key to this offensive line. And we thought, I think we thought heading into this season into 2021, it was hard to find an Auburn offensive line that didn't have Brahms on it and that didn't have Council on it. Because if you look, go back to last season, and I've said this before, you go back to last season. When Braden Council got hurt, Auburn's offensive line was not the same after that point. There was a clear decrease in blocking, whether it's run blocking or pass protecting. They were not as good as they were on the whole as they were with Brandon Council on the field. And that makes sense. He's He's got a ton of experience. Experience means a ton on the offensive line. Not only is he, you're, he, not as, only is he super experienced, but he is very versatile. He has played every single position, even started a game at every single position on the offensive line during his college football career, right? So if you want to mix and match, right? If you want to figure out, okay, maybe this guy's better at guard than tackle. If this guy's better at tackle than guard. If this guy's better on the left side or the right side, which is the more likely option of that, you can move him around. It's kind of like plug and play. And they're trying to find their best five together. Maybe not necessarily... The t- I think Will Friend talked about this in the spring. Maybe not necessarily, here's the best left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, or whatever. But maybe, who's the best five at working together? Right? And, and what does that look like? And Council has the ability to move around where it's like, okay, well, we're at our best if this guy's here. That It doesn't affect him quite as much. Um, so, that's huge. That's huge for Auburn to hear that Brandon Council... Um, should be ready to go for the start of fall camp because they need him. They need him. They need they need that group that 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 top five to get together and get rolling rather quickly. Got nothing to add on that front, but as a fan, yeah, one of the most reliable players back. And I don't know how I got it in my head that he wasn't going to be ready for the beginning of the season. But the other position group where you have to really be excited about the health of Auburn, uh, if you're a fan, is wide receiver. Because this wide receiver unit, the word has been throughout the offseason, Brian Harson even said it again uh, over the weekend, or I'm sorry, Thursday. Um, I forgot what day it was. Um, this, this wide receiver room's got a lot of work to do. They're talented. They think they're talented. Or, or Harson thinks they're talented. But they've got a lot to do to get ready for the season to be a good unit in the SEC. Well, one of the things working against them in spring practice was the fact that J.J. Evans got hurt. Xavion Capers was still recovering from the injury he suffered in the bowl game. And Shatter Jackson wasn't 100%. All three of those guys are expected to be back. Um, if you're thinking Auburn's passing game can take that next step under Harson, uh, under Bobo, with Cornelius Williams as your wide receivers coach, all that you're trying to build – the best chance for them to have it is if they can get as much healthy practice time together before the season starts because they need <laughs> like any reps they can get right now together as a unit really, really helps. Xavion Capers, the more the most productive guy coming back from last season's team. It's very close. Him and Kobe Hudson uh, were, were pretty close in that. Chetra Jackson not too far behind as well. But I think a lot of people came out of 2020 looking – if you look at that wide receiver group coming out of 2020 – I think most people would say Xavion Capers was the guy that people were the most excited about because of how, how well he played as a true freshman. Now he's back to, to 100%, and that is huge uh, for, for this for this uh, 
for this team trying to get back to where they want to be, especially on the offensive side. What's the stat that you've presented about returning wide receiver production and it's what it low. usually means for offense's success rate? Um, if you bring back a lot, it usually, you know, that is one of those that is weighted more heavily, like in SP plus year to year development. Uh, if you bring back more wide receiver yard yardage, that is usually. I don't think it's the top, but I think it's the second best behind quarterback. Obviously, uh, passing yards. I think it mat- it definitely matters more than running back production, and I'm pretty sure it is either right above or right at offensive line production as well, or returning starts. Um, yeah, and you don't have a lot of it, so some practice before the season start right. would be nice. Right. Thank you. So Capers coming back is a big deal. JJ Evans, like I'm interested to see what JJ Evans is. Cause I, I like his game. He's he's got great size. Uh, he's he's he was super productive. He's just had he's just had bad injury luck in the last couple of years. Um, and then Shedrick Jackson is you know one of the few dudes who's been around for a while on you know on this team at the wide receiver position. Demetrius Robertson, I was talking about him uh, at media days. Kirby Smart was very complimentary of him. Um, what asked about him during George's day. Uh, the word on Demetrius Robertson is is that he is not on campus yet. He's not been added to the roster yet. He is finishing up. Um, he's in the process of finishing up his class work at Georgia so he can transfer to Auburn and get rolling and not have to worry about any any of the academic stuff you know involved with with, with the transfer. So um, a little bit of wait and see there, but. They talked about the importance of having a guy like Demetrius Robertson, you know, on this team, and uh, it's—I uh, don't think you can undersell it. I mean, the dude just has something you really don't have uh, at, at the position. Every time you asked anybody about him at media days, it was like it's his experience. It, it, this is what Bo Nix said. He said, um, "Hopefully, his experience will be a great thing for our receivers, who, because of leading events leading up to this guy's leaving and stuff like that." Those guys continue to gain experience, so maybe he can help them bridge the gap. And I think I think that's big. He is kind of a stopgap at the wide receiver position. You don't have you don't have a lot of experience at wide receiver in 2021, but you have talent. And how do you get from talent to experience? Talent? Well, you got to play. And he's a guy that's got talent and experience that can be a leader that guys can learn from, that guys can look up to. And honestly, for Auburn, just to have somebody who's done it before at a high level. Um, and yes, he wasn't all world at, at Georgia, but I mean, he, he has three times the amount of production as, as anybody else on that team combined at wide receiver. So at the very least it's something to lean on. But I think what Bo said is a really good point is that he's a stopgap. He is a guy that can help them bridge, um, what they, what they have this year to what they're trying to build for the future. I think that's the same thing you saw with getting guys like Tony Fair, uh, getting getting other guys uh, by Darius Knighton. It's that, okay, we've got some young guys we really, really like, but we need experience right now because we want to win right now. And so the, I think the bridge metaphor is very good for guys like for, for these kind of one-year rentals. I've had a nagging sense of pessimism about the pass game the majority of this offseason, like a sense of doubt about what it will amount to right. this season. And I think some of that has to do with things that are outside of Harson's control. Like right. we've 
just not seen a consistent pass game under the former coach. Uh-huh. And then the previous two seasons, it has not clicked for Bo Nix. And now right. you're top, topping all that off with a new system and a bunch of young receivers. And I think the and I think the I think the counter to that is, and I think it's the whole thing with Brian Harson in general. You've heard me say this throughout the offseason. Brian Hartson is not a hire for a one to fix everything right away immediately. Not like I think they will be better in aspects this year because of his past, because of how he coaches, because of the what he emphasizes. But I do know that this is not going to be a team that you would expect to compete for a championship. It's not even like 2013 where it was like, okay, well, we're just going to pick up the offense that we were doing two years ago, right? Malzahn was only gone for a year. It was an adjustment. They brought in a new quarterback. They did some things even differently than what they did in 10 and 11 with with, with Gus's offense coordinator and 09 specifically. But it was like, let's get back to what we've what we've done. Last year was weird and an aberration. Let's hit the reset button. Shouts out to Leffler and BVG. We love you, baby. Keep it up. BVG now. Do you know where Brian Van Gorder is? Oh, I so he was with... He was with... I can't say he's failing upward, but he continues to get jobs. He continues to get... Do you know where he is? No. Okay, so he was with Leffler at... Bowling Green. Bowling Green. Yeah, they A got the band back together love. and it didn't work. We, Bowling Green. Wow. Bowling Green, the worst team in the FBS last season. The second worst team in FBS last season would be Akron, who Auburn plays in week now, one. Now, I'm getting my shots in on BVG, but let me say, when Auburn hired him, I was singing praises and excited. So, I got that People were excited about Leffler, too. I remember people being yeah, excited Yeah, Tom about Brady. Leffler. He knew Tom Brady. Um, uh, Brian Van Gorder is now an assistant coach at Gulf Shores. The place that had the basketball run a few years ago? Was that Gulf Shores? Oh, no, that was Gulf Coast Community. No, that wasn't a community college. Gulf, like Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, I was thinking, what is what is Gulf Coast? What team had a Sweet 16 run? Florida Gulf Coast. Okay. Uh, I don't think they play football. Dunk City. I also just called them a community college, and they made it to the like Sweet he 16. He is the you know? defensive coordinator at Gulf Shores High School. Um, the Dolphins of Gulf Shores. Uh, Honestly, he's made so much money, I bet. Why would you not do that? He still gets to coach football. No shade here, but the stakes are a little lower, right? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe not to some people who are involved in, in high school football, but generally speaking, it doesn't make the same amount of money. And uh, now he's at the beach. Yeah, Gulf Shores, by the way, in case in case you don't know, uh, <laughs> Gulf Shores uh, head coach, former Louisiana Lafayette head coach Mark Hutspeth. Uh, they have several college coaches on that staff. Well, if Gulf they Shores. can recruit, which we know some high schools like to do, they ought to be okay. Look, look, we're all. I mean, we're pro. We're pro paying players on this podcast. Um, bet we're pro bag man. If you want to get it down to the high school level and talk about illegal <laughs> recruiting, there. Look, I'll throw my hands up and say, do what's best for your program. <laughs> I guess that's one of those rules that I can't. I can't like. I can't seem to get too mad about, especially oh, well, at the highest level of high school right, football, where right. it's like, okay, everyone's doing. It's it's kind of like what we talk about with the legal recruiting or like you know paying players it and stuff like that. It seems more open in high school than we were in high oh, school. Like I remember yeah. it going on, but I also remember it being a little bit just like football recruiting in college was more of a taboo. Like you should just be happy to be here and serve your team and. Yeah. Everything should be above board. And and I feel like there was a, a lot more of a stigma around it now. I feel like, you know, I mean, I talked about this with a friend recently, but 
high school players doing the notes app announcement and saying, you know, essentially some version of I'm taking my talents across the state to mm-hmm. this high school. Yeah. Which has to be brutal for some of the smaller schools when they oh, do develop gosh. a player that, you know, is going to turn out to be a four or five well, star. And that's the other thing. And, and that's the other thing where I've always season. Yeah. I've always thought that like high school coaches, like really good high school coaches, if you are consistently really good as a high school coach, especially if you're not at a big school, like I think about some of some of the uh, some of the high school coaches I've covered around here in the past um, that you don't you're not playing at a seven A or six A team, but you're consistently winning. It's like yeah, because I mean you get who you get, right? Like if you're at a small school, if you're at a small school, it's like recruiting talented yeah. players from across the county or states probably not an option, right? You're just getting who lives in your city limits or in your school district, like like. You're just you get you get who you got and you coach them up. Um, the higher levels of high school football, it's kind of like it's kind of like to me very much kind uh, very much like small college football where it's like, yeah, you 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 have a little bit of leeway and certain places in the state people want to move here, and sometimes you get a, a bigger influx of talent because of it. And I'm not I'm not singling out any specific school because I think it I think of the teams that are really, really good in like six A and seven A football, like no, you know, it happens yeah, pretty much everywhere. Spider Man meme where everyone's right. pointing at each and other. And again, I'm not even insinuating that it's illegal. Yeah, I don't care. I'm just saying like six A and seven A schools are usually in places a good bit of them are in places where people are moving to. And so rosters can change and, and they move on full time. But yeah, I can't imagine just being like also living in Gulf Shores, like that's just kind of a different ball game too. Uh, I think he's done it right at this point. He's made his money. Go live at the beach, man. And you still get to do the thing you like. Have your cup of coffee in the morning. Talk X's and O's with the boys. Good vibes all around for, for Van Gorder. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what it would be like to go to a high school at a beach. In like a city that is specifically there to like to have a beach. Like It is a tourist <laughs> destination. As people who did not go to high schools that were tourist destinations... That's always been that. It's always, I've always thought that was yeah. Isn't y'all city sort of a pass through on the way to the oh, beach? Yeah. Actually, a pass around at this point. Um, Do you go through Elba, sweet sweet Elba? Well, it depends. If you're going to Panama City, you're probably going to go a little bit more closer to Elba. If you're going to Destin or Fort Walton, you were you were going through where I was. What about Thirty A? You can kind of hit the middle <laughs> on that one. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on where you want to start. Um, I'd like to get some property there. You and every other college football coach in America. Yeah, and I think, I think that, that was a Ross Dellinger story not too long ago, where it was like, "This is where all the coaches hang out," and it was the story about Thirty A, well, and like everybody who every, everybody who was listening, or who who like everybody who was around here was like, "Yeah, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense." That makes sense. Um, or you so, can, or you, or you can vacation at Universal Studios, like I saw Matt Luke doing the other day. He so. looked tired. I, I know we've, we've already touched that, so we don't have to, but. He looked exhausted. I he guess looked, I don't know who he was there with. I don't know the age of his children. I am. He was, I would imagine if it was, he was, it was ushering around young young children that could yeah. be exhausting. Like middle school age, probably like oh, they're probably demons. <laughs> Trying just not to lose them. He school? just like wants to go back to his wife and be like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't lose them. No, no. Um, and yes, I was not a particularly good child in middle speaking school. Speaking of which, we talked about Matt Luke, and we talked about roller coasters, and we talked about a lot of stuff. Realignment, a uh, little bit of media day stuff, but also um, the NBA draft coming up, which is this week. 
which we'll be keeping a close eye on for sure with JT Thor and Sharif Cooper. We talked a lot about that uh, a lot about that with Nathan King of Auburn Undercover on our premium podcast. Painter, let the folks know how they can uh, sign up and and get access to that podcast. Google Auburn Observer. Is, that, is this the new way we're going to get people now? And subscribe, folks. It's Give the us da- your it's money. The Pack Twitter, it's the Dan Pack Twitter hack. Yeah, we are trying to boost those numbers, baby. What is it that Dan does? He says, Google my Twitter, Dan Peck, or yeah. Daniel Allen Peck Twitter. Do that, too. He wants to be the top Dan Peck, which we fully support. Also, rate, review, and subscribe. That takes no money. You just need to get on your free app. Mm-hmm. And tell the people how great we are. And really, I think it's Apple. I mean, yeah. other services probably have, but yeah. where you, I don't think you, you can't do that on Spotify, can you? Uh, no. So there's that. So yeah, there's if you that. have if you have access to Apple, you have an Apple account of any kind, open up your podcast app. Do it on your grandparents' phone. They probably they don't even throw know us how five to use stars. It. A written review helps a lot. A lot of you have been have been uh, have been doing that, and we appreciate those very very much. Um, and yeah, subscribe to the observer, $6 a month, $60 a year. If you're listening to this and you are listening to just the free one. And this is the time, baby. This is the time. We're close. I mean, football season, a new era. You're going to want to be locked in. You're going to want to be locked in because when, when fall camp starts, we will have a ton of stuff coming Fred out gets to you. gets it right about players going to the NBA who also went to Auburn. Yep. Which is something that happens routinely now. Football, men's basketball coverage and analysis that hopefully you can't get anywhere else. Um, that's what we. That's what we're here to provide you. And like we said, you get the premium podcast, the midweek one, if you sign up at the Observer, AuburnObserver.com, six dollars a month, sixty dollars a year. Everything we do gets emailed to your inbox. If you signed up, and if you were one of those people who were subscribed last week, you would have gotten a breakdown of Jay Fair. You would have. You would have known and read all the stuff Brian Harson said away from the microphone and away from the podium at SEC Media Days. Because here's the thing with Brian Harson. He had a long opening statement. He only took three questions, and he was out of there because they were on a tight schedule. But he Did talked he to us. Did he spill the tea, so to speak? He talked to us in the local media. Some of the things we were talking about, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more here. But you will have been, you will have read a lot of that stuff and learned a lot of that information. You signed up there. Also, the story on Auburn's linebackers, Owen Papo. We'll talk a little bit about more, more about him in a second. Um, a lot of good stuff there. That's it. That's if you sign up to the Observer. Also, there's going to be some schedule talk this week. Also, also, keep an eye out for uh, some Auburn basketball schedule stuff this week because that mm. some news is coming around the corner on that. I think the SEC is about to announce uh, opponent schedules. Like we love that, folks. Yeah, so A full lineup when you rate, review, and subscribe and Google the Auburn Observer podcast. Yes, a hundred percent. More stuff from Brian Harson at uh, at Media Days. The quarterback competition. Uh, we've gotten 45 minutes into this podcast, and we have not talked about the quarterback. We like to zag when others are zigging, so to speak. Absolutely. And also, I think we know how that's going to go. Yeah, the fat bow is there. One of the one of the more interesting quotes, and it's not surprising knowing this guy. But one of the more surprising quotes I, I thought I thought it was like, oh, that was interesting. Like it, it stood out to me. Bonick's talking about like I asked him in the electronic media room. Hey, what do you think about? having T.J. Finley around, what do you think of him as a quarterback? And he says, here's a direct quote, quote, yeah, T.J. obviously was a good transfer for us. He's a big, strong guy with a good arm and a fast release. I've just done everything I can to help him learn the offense because I know how it was for me at the beginning under the type of offense that he came from, so it's going to be a little different for him. Look, everybody wants it to be 
a, posi- a, a battle, and these guys are going to be at each other's throat, and, you know, T.J. Finley's coming for his job, and Bo Nixon. T.J. wants to win. Bo probably will win it, and at the same time, they can be friends. Like, that was sort of the Good refreshing teammates. thing about Giannis being honest in this playoff and then continuing to win when he was talking positively of the opponent, Kevin Durant, and I, I don't remember what all else he said, but he said some things that basically wasn't the Michael Jordan approach of, like, I'm the best. I'll always be the best. Right. I'm not scared of anyone. It was like acknowledging that other people have strengths and still being like, I'm a capable player myself. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at with Bo, right? He's saying, yeah, I mean, this is fine. I'm, I'm going to compete. Yeah. And, and I, I, I still, you know, he, he's saying, he's saying I'm helping him learn the offense. I'm trying to do everything I can to help him out. It's like, he doesn't technically have to do that. Right. And I don't know to the extent and the details, sure. of, but I have heard since he arrived on campus, TJ Finley has fit in very well with his teammates. It's a good competition. Some adorable scenes at that summer camp they were running. Yeah. Well, and then the rafting. Did you see the rafting photos a few weeks back? I did not. Yeah, those are. Finley was with those guys too. But yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, a lot of that going on. And I, and I think yeah, but TJ Finley like it's going to be tough for him to win this job. Yeah, I, think I, I having, can't help but feel like the battle is good, as we've reiterated, for the general. We all push ourselves more when there's competition, right? right. But it also does feel a little bit anticlimactic or, or it would aggressive take, it would to take call it a so much, I would think, for him competition. To, yeah, I would think it would take so much for T.J. Finley to become the starter by week one. And I think it would take a lot for him to be the starter at any point this season, right? I think yeah, it's I mean, gonna, you need some bad things to take place. I, I really do think that. Now... Is it impossible? No. Am I going to act like I know what's going on Brian Harson and Mike Bobo's head when it comes to this competition? No. But I do know is that they took Bo Nix to SEC Media Days when they could have easily not taken him. They could have taken Nick Brahms. First team all SEC (laughs) center at this point. Bo being the third team quarterback. Or an absolute flex. Just take your kicker and Owen Popo. That would have been great. I I would love to have sound honors there. Would that have annoyed people? Yes. I think so. But I also think Brian Harson is not one to care about that kind of stuff. Now, he sent Owen and Bo because he said, like, these guys are great representatives and leaders for our program. Like, he cares about that. He, he wants you to, you know, he wants people to put on a good, you know, a good display for the program. Like, he's going to care about that kind of stuff. But, like, I also think it's like, oh, we could have had better media stuff. It's like, yeah, he's not going to care about that. He's not. <laughs> and, like, that's the thing, man. Like, he doesn't have to. He doesn't, that's not his job. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know. It's more fun. Is my job, job going to be a little bit more difficult from time to time? Yeah, my As job is a little bit more difficult sure from time to time. Being a guest on. Yeah, when the quarterback shows up, it's it would, right. it, It's going to grab headlines more than Anders Carlson showing up to media days. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a little bit of that involved. So, I, I mean, Bo being honest about, he's like, hey, I thought I've, had, I've done some good things these last couple of years. I'm trying to do a better job of hitting tight window throws, throwing guys open accuracy needs to step up like yeah he's not dumb he knows he knows those are the things he needs to work on and hearing him say that i think was 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 a good sign um owen papo saying he looks more calm in this offense that the Bo does he's you, you can tell a difference um harson talked a lot about the mental side of the quarterback he's like i want everybody we talked about this some during the spring too like when the ball is snapped i want you to know where to go with the ball if x y and z happened and if Bo can be armed with that, we know he's got the talent. We know he can make some really good plays. We know he can escape. We know he's good with his legs. We know he's got a he's got a good arm. 
It's just when the bullets start flying, there's been some issues with him in the last couple of seasons. If he is more confident and more cool and calm and collected, this is the year, blah, blah, blah. If he's doing that like when he takes the snap and he's more prepared, you're going to see a better quarterback this year. Now, is he going to be you know, all SEC? Kind of season that, that BYU quarterback had. Yeah, he's going to be Zach Wilson. <laughs> no, that's Malik Willis. Um, which that has come back again now. I've, Are we I've doing seen... the Malik hype yet again? Yeah, we're back on a swing up. Where All it's right, like... fair enough. I'm not going to, you know. I, I, look, man, I hope he does we, well. Yeah, we would like Malik to have success, certainly. I do think that there's going to be some revisionist history about Malik if he ends up having a great year at Liberty and maybe even being a good draft pick. And it's like, yeah, but everybody who – everybody who watched him that second season at Auburn and into that spring, they knew that by the end of that spring practice, it was either going to be Bo or Joey. Like it was very obvious at that point. And, and it looks like he's made the right call by all, because we're talking about Malik Willis at Liberty and talking about him potentially being a relatively right. high draft pick. So well, it did work. And out. again, no shade towards Malik Willis. He, I mean, we just saw what Zach Wilson did out of BYU and BYU is a bigger program, obviously, but He's at Liberty. Liberty and, they're and not, BYU both entertaining in their own ways, though. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think the thing there with, with with Malik is that he's in a really good opportunity to get that platform. I don't know if he necessarily has that platform, that opportunity, if he's still in the SEC, still at a Power 5 job. Field reporter, observer field reporter, Austin Ivey, floating out the question to me, can Bo have a – 3,000-yard season with 450 rushing yards, and I can't remember the touchdown mark he set for Bo. And that seems realistic, but what he had about 2,500 yards, I think, as a freshman and about 2,400 yards as a sophomore, I might be getting the years mixed up. But around 2,500 yards both years. So you'd have to – 500 yards is not a crazy amount more to grab over – and last year, what, he only played in two games. Yeah, he plays in two more games – he comes close to hitting three thousand, just just based on averages. Um, he's not too far off, uh, I would say. But yeah, I think I you think always that's, point out too, possible. like total numbers are sort of a silly thing to go by at the same time. Yeah, I think it's a, it's that last season under sixty percent completion percentage, six point eight yards per attempt, uh, twelve touchdowns, just seven and seven interceptions. Quarterback rating not great. Those are numbers. The percentage of yards per attempt, those are numbers that have to go up. Because if you're going to be a winning quarterback in the SEC, you've got to be much better in those numbers. It's just, unless your team's running for 350 yards a game, which, spoiler alert, they're not. That's just not how football is right now. Or maybe ever again. You need to be a better better passer than that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where, the, where this goes. I think, you know, Harson said – we're going to have competition at every position, um, but nobody came in and got guaranteed anything. And I think that in I think that's going to be extended through every position. He said, "Look, I'm not a moron." This is not a direct quote, but he's like, "Look, I know I play quarterback. I know quarterback's going to get more attention. I understand that." Um, but you know, he says. Uh, you know, TJ Finley's done a really good job. We want to, we want these guys to know what they're doing when the ball is snapped and what happens when the bullet starts flying. Um, he likes what he's seen from TJ Finley this summer. He likes the preparation. He likes the hard work. He likes, he likes the skill set there. 
he likes what he's seen from Bo as well and what, what he's been able to build on from what he did in the spring. And it's like, he said, when we get into, when we get into fall camp, it's going to go full speed. May the best man win, you know? And, and so I think there's that kind of evenness to it, but we know Bo's got some built in advantages because he's been doing this for the last couple of seasons. He's got two years of starting experience. CJ Finley has half of a year of starting experience. That matters. That definitely matters. And it was on a different team. And it was on a completely different team. And then, honestly, with this offense, this is going to be a completely different team in terms of in terms of how they want to run their offense. But, yeah. Um, speaking of Bo, third-team All-SEC quarterback, um, which I think drew the ire of some people. But, like, outside of Matt Corral and JT Daniels, who are you banging the table for hard in the SEC? Uh, pre- I, me, personally, me talking as a, as a human being here, uh, just generally – Connor Bazelak in Missouri, I probably would have had higher up. He was SEC freshman year with with Tank Bigsby last season. But there's a lot of new guys in the league, right? Like, you might think Bryce Young's going to be amazing, but you haven't seen Bryce Young really play yet. Emory Jones, um, whoever comes out of the Arkansas battle, whoever comes out at A&M, whoever comes out, I guess, at LSU. So, not not wild there. Auburn having... um, Tank and uh, Nick Brahms as their as first team representatives. Auburn had the second most tied for the second most All SEC t- picks. Most of them on the second and third team. Who is number one? I mean Vanderbilt. Uh, <laughs> but tied with Georgia in overall picks. However, pick fifth to finish in the West. And here's my thing: Yes, these guys are second and third team guys. They're not top of the line. But to me, there's still a disconnect here of like, ah, this team has talent, but they're going to be fifth in the West. And if you want to break it down, I think Alabama definitely has an advantage coming in this year. I think A&M coming off the season they had last year. I think LSU's a more talented team, although LSU's probably the most combustible, like one way or another either. I think LSU's either going to be really good this year or it could get ugly there. Like, I don't think there's middle ground. I don't see a 8-4, and 9-3 from LSU this year. I could be wrong, though. Ole Miss, it's like we love Matt Corral and we love Lane Kiffin and we love all this stuff about their offense. And in year two, they're oh, fun, man, but they're not there. a threat. To they can't play defense. Yeah, they're not a threat to do anything other than beat a team that they're not supposed to. But you know, and they are picked to, to win finish ahead Auburn. Yeah, to win the West. Like, all right. But they're picked to finish ahead of Auburn, and Auburn's ahead of Arkansas, and Mississippi State. That's it. To me, there's a disconnect there because if you're saying. This team has this much quality talent. And I'm not saying they're not. Alabama's got the first-teamers, and Georgia's got more first-teamers, and several of these teams might have have four more first-teamers. But if you're saying this team has more overall talent than a lot of other ones do, look at how many dudes were on the defense. Owen and Zacoby and uh, Roger McCurry, who somehow was only third team, which I thought was weird. Smoke Monday, Derek Hall. If all these dudes are on defense, no. Ole Miss doesn't have anybody that scares you on defense. One of two things is going to happen. Auburn's going to play like a team that's going to finish fifth in the SEC West, and that's mostly a 6-6 six and six year, scraping around to be bowl eligible most years. Or they're going to play like a team that has a lot more talent than that and be a little bit higher. As we said right now, I know Ole Miss is the darling right now, but i got to see Ole Miss play some defense first before. Like Auburn... Remember how not great Auburn was on offense last season on the whole? They beat them, okay? 
you feel I feel better about Arkansas defensively. I feel better about, but I think it's you fall in love with Lane and you fall in love with Matt Corral and. I guess Ole Miss and Arkansas both, I think, overachieved last year, right? So I do wonder if they're they revert back a little bit. And the projections this year have Auburn around a seven or eight win team. That makes more sense to me. Because if you say, okay, they're fifth, say they're fifth in the SEC West, you project that out. They beat Arkansas, they beat Mississippi State. They maybe beat South Carolina in that scenario. But then you're saying basically that they're going to finish behind Ole Miss, LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M. And then they also play Georgia. What you're saying at that point for this season is they will beat the two teams that they are better than in their division. They may beat South Carolina, and then they lose to everybody else. And it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot for me to bank in because one of the teams that's picked ahead of them in this conference or in this division is a team that we know does not have the talent level that Auburn does. In Ole Miss, we know they don't have near the defense Auburn does. Like Texas A&M with a new quarterback, LSU with all the stuff going on at LSU, and then you got Georgia and Alabama as well, which you know people expect to be one-two easy in, in the conference. Are you telling me that they're not going to beat any of those teams? I don't know who they're going to beat, but knowing Brian Harson and seeing what he's done in the past, there's going to be some bumps in the road this year. It's going to be tough, and I. To me, I think this season is going to be about the process more than the final destination. Like, you're building towards something. This is a big-picture hire. But I have a hard time thinking it's just like, oh, they beat the they beat the easy teams in this, in this conference, and that's it. I'm not saying they go beat Penn State on the road. I'm not saying they beat Alabama or Georgia. I'm not, I don't even know who you specifically pick out. Maybe I'm talking myself into more of they'll beat Ole Miss at home. That to me seems like there's this this interesting little there's something off to me. About there's that. some wiggle. either they're good, either they're either they're that talented or they're not going to be that good. Yeah, I think the space between the three teams probably vying for third, fourth, and fifth in the West is pretty small. Like there's a big drop off between what is probably Alabama and then Texas A and M this year in the SEC West. Like I I'm still laughing about Jimbo Fisher saying that they were going to, whatever phrase he used, beat Alabama badly. Once I heard that, I was like, well, Saban was going to beat you. I think I've said this already, like 38 to 10. But now they're going to do it like 55 to 3. Since the Manziel games, they have not even come close. Yeah, the Manziel game. I don't know why Fisher decided to poke the bear there. But I think there's a pretty big drop-off between 1 and 2, and then probably a reasonably sized drop-off between the second team in the West and the third. And then I think you can continue. But who's the second team? Is it A and M? Definitely. I think, I think it's A and M. Yeah, I, I don't think LSU, Ole Miss, or Auburn. It's not impossible for any of those teams to upset A and M, but I, I would think that A and M is in a much better position so, this year than those three. We teams. mentioned him earlier, Dan Peck. When I was on the drive Friday here in town, he was saying, and I kind of agree with him. He was like, "I pick Alabama to win the West, and I think Mississippi State's going to be the worst team in the league or in the division." Two through six, you could put them in any order, and I'd be like, yeah, I can see it. You know, maybe it's harder to believe that Arkansas or Auburn or Ole Miss would be at the, would be at the two would be higher up there, but it's not, not unreasonable. Either Auburn's going to look like a team that had that many all-SEC picks, or they're going to look more like a team that's going to struggle to make a bowl game and be 
you know, six and six. I guess after all of my doubts about A&M last year, and then they turned in a pretty good season. Like this year, I do feel more comfortable putting them going into the season. My whole thing there with this... A&M, my whole thing there with A&M is they had Mond, who was one of the most experienced quarterbacks. And I'm not crazy about Kellen Mond, obviously, but one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the league. And it's like, also, some of 2020 to me is just going to be like, yeah, how much can you – Oh, A and M was really good in the year there was a plague. All right, like I like I don't necessarily know if they're if that's a great sign for them, but again, I'll I'll, I'll say it until I die. Until Jimbo Fisher has more talent than everybody else, I don't think he's going to win big. And he came close last year, so it shows how much I know. Um. Anyway, uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention there about the All SEC thing is I think what we're seeing. And I think we got a little bit of that on Thursday. And, I mean, there are people inside the Auburn fan base. Maybe people who are listening to this podcast feel the same way. I think there's a lot of doubt around Brian Harson, And, like, when you say, oh, Brian Harson, look, you have Tank Bigsby and Nick Brahms and Bo Nix and all these guys on defense, and you have Anders Carlson, and you have all these players that, are, that we think are good and recognizable, but you're going to finish fifth in the division. To me, that's a mark on we don't know what this dude's going to look like because we don't trust him yet because he's never done it before here. That's what I think kind of fell into that into that line. It's like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, Auburn's not going to be that great this year because they hired that coach from Boise State. We don't know how if he can make it in the SEC yet. I was like, okay, it's reasonable, but I think that's I think that's the explanation for why there seems to be such a disconnect. And I think either this is going to be a year where the changes to the systems are so great that it is going to be tough for them to get to that point. Or they can turn around and surprise some people. But as we've said for most of the offseason, seven wins is about where everybody's kind of, where the numbers kind of project them out to be. I could talk myself into eight. Nine, if you get nine wins this year off of this schedule, throw a party because that's a really good season. And... I know people may look at it as like, well, you know, you just fired Gus for around those kind of numbers. It's like, yeah, but you're changing everything. I think, you know, 2021 under Gus Mal, you could give 2021 Gus Malzahn and 2021 uh, uh, Brian Harson the same record, and you feel a whole lot better, I think, it's a fan base about, about Harson because it's new and you're building something. For Malzahn, it, it would have been tough. Yeah, the 2019 season was disappointing because Auburn lost some really close games. Yep. But also, up until the bowl game, yeah, I mean, I think Auburn fans were pretty pleased to beat Oregon and to beat Alabama, right? And then it was disappointing to lose in the fashion you did against Florida Florida and LSU, especially. The LSU game was was a tough one to swallow. Look, man, I think if you go 9-3 and and the three losses you have this year are Alabama, Georgia, and A&M, people are upset. Or, you know, like, ah, oh, man, you could have gotten one of them. But, like, 9-3 and three with those new systems and all that coming in, I think well, would be a really Penn good State year. Penn State and LSU on the road and don't lose to any teams less talented than you. Right. You get two pretty big scalps on the road, and that would be good. Now, 9-3 and three with one of them being Georgia or Alabama is the win? You're talking about a completely Seems different. like winning the lottery, but, right, it would create a little momentum, so to speak. The other thing, and I know it's the time of year to do this, but... Auburn's the least predictable program in sports. <laughs> like, like Auburn football is so hard to figure out that like I know where you know I can come in and say uh, the numbers say about seven and five. The eyeball on the schedule seems seven and five. Offensive line 
needs to get better. There's not a whole lot of talent at wide receiver. Experienced talent, I should say. There's talent. There's not a lot of experience at wide receiver. Monix has got to step up. It's new systems. Yeah, seven it's, and five might seven and five six and six might be the one. I can see that and eyeball it, but then also like, look, man, like this this team can get hot and, and start rolling. In some variation, the last three coaches. In some variation, the last three coaches for Auburn have all gotten off to a pretty quick start. Gus, the obvious, going to a national title game in year one. Chiswick, I believe, started. We talked about this recently. Five and zero yep. in two thousand nine, and then I think Tubbs pretty quickly into his tenure at least got to the sec championship game and i believe lost to florida so it was year two he had a losing record his first year so not off to a great start but year two they do but have it, there a were a lot year. of close losses if i remember correctly which is all to say that i can yeah, convince I myself that auburn can certainly steal one from somebody yeah I, I think that's the i think that's the interesting thing about this team if you have a good season it's obviously awesome but if you have a tough season it's like okay well that makes sense right doesn't mean you know this is a horrible hire pull, pull, it's a plug. boring thing to talk about to go seven and five and you know it's like try to spin it positively but at the same time it's like the more people i talk to the more people i talk to about brian harson people who have known him in the past people who are you know who cover the sport nationally regionally you know who've covered boise in the past who've covered auburn fan oh yeah Anybody I talk to about Brian Harson, it seems that the consensus from a lot of smart people is that Brian Harson's got a plan, and he's got a system, and he's gonna st- he's so meticulous and detail oriented that it that it's gonna work at some point. But is everybody around here gonna be patient enough for it to happen? With all the factors that go into that, whether it's an AD or money or power people or fan expectations, or media hype, or whatever you want to call it. Will there be enough time for him to get to that point? I think there could be. But uh, but that's why I think Auburn fans, if you want to, if you look at this and be like, they're picked to finish fifth, and it's like, yeah. Like, well, I think they're a more talented team than fifth in the West, just on the very nature, very nature of who they are. But when you change so much about your program this first year, it's not quite a year zero, but it might be year year zero e, maybe zero point five or zero point seven five for for Brian Harson. And look, I say that just from from the outside. Inside that program, they they think they can win right away, which is the mindset you definitely have to have. You got to have Tony Fair coming out and saying we're going to take the head off the elephant. You got to have Bo Nix coming out and saying we're not scared of Alabama, uh... which people thought was a big deal. That got blown up as like a quote. It's like, we're not scared of Alabama. It's like, yeah. He's one and one. Well, then also it's like you can't be scared of a team you're playing against and beat them and have ever ever have any chance to beat them. This is or any chance to even be competitive with them. Very much someone who doesn't know much about what they're talking about, trying to diagnose athletes. But to some extent I do think mentally it is why Auburn has had some success yeah. repeatedly over the last it's decade. The Pat Dye, it's the Pat Dye effect. You know, they don't so to speak, a way I've heard people phrase it is get off the bus scared, if you will. Like they, there are players on the team who were on the team when Auburn won two seasons ago. They've seen it done. If you've paid any attention to the rivalry, as many of these guys have because of where they're from, they know that Auburn has had success right. in the last decade against a team that virtually no one else has, which means we can. It might not happen this year. Right. I think it's pretty likely they lose. 40 but years at ago. least you can walk into Jordan here and go, the last time we played this game here, the good guys won. The last two times. 
three of the last four. Pat Dye, the guy that everybody is comparing this hire to in terms of culture, big change, all that. What's all going on at the other program? Line of scrimmage, what's going on at the other program, yeah. He came in and taught Auburn not to be scared of Alabama, right? And, and said, we're going to stare you down and we're going to be Auburn and we're going to, we know we're not as big as you. We know we're not as, you know, famous as you. We know we're not as decorated as you, but we can beat you, right? And so you want that mentality. And like Auburn fans know that they love that mentality. But then for outside people to be like, like, why is that a pull quote? Why, why, why is that a deal? And like all the players are kind of hyping them up around it. They're like, yeah, they're sharing it on social media. Like, yeah, we're not scared of y'all and you shouldn't be right. Like, yes, they're great. And you have respect and you know that they are. I wouldn't do a Jimbo Fisher did. No, if but, I was an Auburn player, but I think but they it's perfect. Yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say that we can go into the game with the mindset. Well, I guess Tony Fair kind of did, but uh, shouts out. But Tony Fair went to UAB. He's got a little bit more skin in the game. <laughs> well, and unlike me, who's just talking, he does have to play. Yes. So he'll they'll work it out one way or the other. Yeah, I just think I just think in that case, you're just like, yeah, that's the mentality you want to have. But if you're on the outside, being like, wow, this is significant, it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's not. I love the people, but it's also like for Alabama fans to get riled up and be like, oh, they shouldn't be scared of us. Or be like, this is bulletin board material. It's like, okay, do you need extra motivation? Uh, you know what? I didn't know if that team thought we were, they thought they were going to beat us. But now that I know that they think they can beat us, I'm going to try to beat them. Like, come on. And yet another example of what we talk about with Alabama, they cannot help themselves. They cannot enjoy what has been the greatest. Oh, that fan base? Yeah, the yeah, greatest sure. run in college sports history, I think, probably outside of what UCLA did yeah. in basketball when sports looked a lot different. They still care too much about what the little brother fan base thinks. Right. They've got to stop. Right. If It would work my nerves ever more. If they, if just they had didn't, like they didn't pay attention care. to me, but knowing that that sort of thing bothers them is one of the few satisfactory things as an Auburn well, fan the, you can that, do in this <laughs> in this exchange. Because anytime, like if there's an Alabama Georgia Auburn argument online, or even like amongst my friends, it's like when Alabama comes at you, you're just like, yeah, dude. Right. Like until he retires, this is just how it is, yep. and I'm not going to argue with you about it. Well, the, the other thing I think is funny is because, like, there's so many Alabama fans that, like, do that. But then they also, like, want to say, like, they care about the Tennessee rivalry. And it's like they can turn themselves Raw and Tennessee fans up. It would be a whole lot more effective if you looked at Auburn out in Tennessee and you were like, yeah, we don't we don't even. We don't think about it. Like, they, the move for Alabama fans would be like, ah, yes, when this expansion happens, Oklahoma's going to be yeah, our real or, rival. Or They're the only ones that are kind of at our range or, right or Clemson, you know, a team not even in the conference. Right. It's just like they're actually our biggest But rival. instead, it's like, it's like, yeah, you've got to make fun of, you know, Brian Harson and, and what Auburn players are saying and, like, act like, you know, Tennessee's a big deal. And look, don't stop. I get entertainment out of it. It is part of why we do all this narcissistic yes. stuff online because we like to put our opinions out there. Yep. Uh, but it is one of the few things that Alabama fans give me that I really, really enjoy. It would be a whole lot more effective if they were just like, you know, yeah, we don't. Like if you like if they started treating the Iron Bowl, and they can't, they can't because, again, like we said, Auburn's won. 
was it three out of the last four in Jordan Hare? Like they've had more success. Auburn is the team that's had more success against Alabama than any other. Like, yes, that is true. But if like Alabama fans started treating Auburn like Georgia fans treat Georgia Tech, that would drive people crazy. But I think Tech, I think Georgia still does a little bit of that with Tech. Just maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. But anyway, that's gonna do it for the podcast. As Painter said earlier, rate, review, subscribe. If you have Apple, go for it. Help us out. Um, tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And then that person might tell an enemy. And who knows? We might be able to keep this thing rolling. Um, subscribe at AuburnObserver.com. $60 a month. $60 a year. Plenty of stuff throughout the week. Fall camp's just around the corner. And uh, we'll go full speed ahead there. Painter, any final thoughts? Choo-choo. All the way. <laughs>